Boy, welcome everybody. We're going to worship God together. Man, thanks so much for coming to church today. Our church service is going to be a whole lot better because you're here. Man, I've been waiting all week to get together with you folks. And for, for everybody that's watching online, boy, thanks so much uh, for joining us online. You're part of our family here. And, and for you people, man, uh, online, anytime you ever get up in our area, please stop and visit us. Boy, we have the greatest people in Minnesota right here at Destiny, and we'll make you feel right at home. Um, but today, uh, we don't have our TVs yet, so the lyrics for the songs... Some of you folks have got sheets I see printed out or they were emailed out on your phone. So you have them on your phone. And if you don't have them on your phone, it's because you haven't given us your email address. And so after the service, I'm going to be at the table in the lobby. And if you want to get signed up on our mailing list and with your email address and your text number and like that, why, why uh, appreciate if you do that. Um, folks watching online, Boy, our computers are still um, lost in shipping somewhere, so we don't have those words for your screen this week, but we'll get them as soon as we can. But let's get going to worship. If you just want to agree with me in prayer quick. Man, we just declare, Father God, we thank you that because you're on our side, we're going to win every situation. I just speak that over everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, would you stand and we'll worship together.
from when we first started worship this morning, well, I just had this thought, your miracle's in your mouth. You know, that's, that's all the lyrics to these songs are, is you calling things which be not as though they were. You know, that's what Abraham did, the father of our faith, and, and we're in the same position he's in. God guaranteed some things to him. God's guaranteed some things to you and me. But Abraham called those things which be not. That means uh, 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 as though they were long enough 
that he no longer considered the physical circumstance, but he was fully persuaded that what God said he was going to do, even if it took raising things from the dead. And you know, that same thing is true for you and I. So, I, boy, I just encourage you to, to take some of the words in these songs home with you and, and use them during the week. I mean, when you, uh, I mean we, we all face challenges, but, but don't talk about the challenges. Speak to those challenges with the Word of God. You know, that's all Abraham did. He agreed with God, and he got the results that he wanted. And God will do that same thing for you and me. In fact, he wants to do that so much. He wants us to live supernatural lives in partnership with him. Yeah. Boy, just, just remember this. We got to go out in the service, but just remember this. You, you're not ordinary or average. You're a son, a daughter of the Most High God, and that is very, very real. Yes. Well, yes. well, why don't we greet everybody? Um, um, and boy, thank you so much once again for being here today. Well, I've got some exciting announcements this morning. Uh, first one is this. Uh, we, we finally got the kids' camp nailed down. You know, we normally go up to Faith Haven up on Eagle Lake, but, but this year the, the state restrictions were just so much that we realized the kids wouldn't have any fun in a camp like that. So we're going to have a we're going to have a shortened kids' camp at the church here uh, on August 5th and 6th. And the kids will stay overnight on, on the night of August 5th. And then, but we're still going to have four meetings involved in that camp. So, so if you've got kids that are 13 years old down to six years old, why, talk to Linda, talk to Ryan, and, and get lined up for that kids' camp. And then the next week in August, uh, um, starting... Uh, um, well, actually, the first week in August, why we got we got Yuri and Tanya Bender here, and uh, uh, some of you guys uh, probably haven't uh, haven't met Yuri and Tanya yet, but we've had a 25-year ongoing relationship with them. Uh, they've pastored several churches in Ukraine that we've been a part of, and they've uh, they've pastored churches in New York City which we've been a part of. And we've just maintained this friendship over the years. And, and right now, why Yuri and Tanya, have, with their children, have been in the United States getting new revelation about the love of God that they're going to bring back to Ukraine and start a church there. Because uh, that's, uh, that's, that's new revelation over there. And, uh, and so, uh, boy, we're, we're excited to have them here. And um, the, the first meeting with them is going to be a men's meeting on August 3rd. And that's at, uh, that's at Josh Ball's, Josh and Alicia Ball's place. Talk to Josh to get directions there. So that's, that's 6.30. Uh, they start those meetings August 3rd at Josh Ball's place. Then Yuri and Tanya are going to be at church here on the 9th, that Sunday morning. And then there's a, there's a women's meeting that Tuesday, the 11th, at 6.30 at the church. And then... Yuri and Tanya are going to be over at the Destiny Center for a youth meeting on the 12th. Uh, that's at 6.30 at night. The women's meeting's at 6.30 at night also. So, so that's what's coming up. Um, it's my privilege to receive God's tithes and our offerings this morning. And so we've got some ushers around that have these envelopes. If you're giving cash and would like a tax deduction receipt, well, just raise your hand and they'll get you one of these envelopes. And for those of you that are watching online, if you want to tithe or give offerings to God through Destiny Church here, why, you, can, you could mail a check to the church here, 
And that's Destiny Church at 27871 140th Avenue in Ashby, Minnesota, 56309. And that, that, that address is available on our website and on, the, and on the Facebook, our Facebook page too. But then also, if you want to text your tithes and offerings to the church, why, um, you write down this number for you folks online or in the building. If you want to text your tithe, why, it's 218-316-6085. And just text the amount you want to give, and you'll get set up on that for text giving. And, you, you know, I always, like to, I always like to get some scripture involved in God's tithes and our offerings. And so just shortly, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And this story is about Jacob. He's the, he's the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And this story is about when, uh, when Jacob leaves home and starts his adult life. And actually, he's forced to leave home uh, uh, his brother is threatening to kill him. So what he does, he's going to go to travel to the land that his mother come from, now that he's an adult, and find a wife there. And so his father, Isaac, he realizes this is probably the last time he'll see him. So Isaac tangibly lays his hand on, on Jacob and passes the blessing of Abraham onto Jacob. So, you know, I identify with Jacob. Because in Christ, why, we have that blessing, the blessing of Abraham. So, so, so Jacob leaves home, and he's camping um, that night, and he has his first encounter with God. And, and this is what I'm really trying to show you, Jacob's response to his first encounter with God. He's laying down, and he sees God, God talks to him, and he says, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I, I'm going to go with you on your trip. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bring you back to this land safely because I'm giving this land to you and your descendants. But now, Jacob's response. You know, our lives are so much determined by our responses. And what Jacob says, he says, well, if you're going to do that, why, well, I'm going to see to it that you get 10% of everything you bless me with. He see, he enters into a partnership with God. Now, he learned that from his father, Isaac. And his father learned that from Abraham. In fact, that's one of my favorite lines in the Bible is when Abraham is explaining to the king of Sodom why the two of them are going to tithe together. The king of Sodom. And so Abraham said, well, I've lifted my hand on to God. I mean, that's something I say a lot. Because when something good happens, why, well, of course, I lifted my hand on to God. I'm in partnership with God. Something bad happens, why, I say, I lifted my hand on to God. The person that created the universe is going to turn this around, straighten it out. So that, that's why Jacob knew to do that. But, but that's a natural response, isn't it? I mean, what a deal that is, 10%. So uh, to get all of God's blessing. So, but I'm going to fast forward 20-some years. J Jacob's coming back to the land. And he, come, he gets to this same place, and he separates from his family and, 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 and his, his workers, and he spends the night there alone, and he goes, he marked that place with a rock, and, and, and the first thing he goes, he, go, he prays, and, and, and he thanks God. He said, man, thank you, God, for everything you've blessed me with. I left here with a walking stick, so he didn't have anything, and he said, and now I'm coming back as two armies. I mean, God really made him rich, and substantial, and, but he, here's where things get crazy. So God hears that, and he shows up. 
standing right in front of Jacob. Well, now, here's a response that'll blow your mind. Jacob grabs a hold of God, and he won't let him go till he blesses him further. I mean, why would he dare do that? How could he be so bold? Well, 20-some years of being in a tithing partnership with God, he began to think like God. So although he was very thankful for everything God had given him, he knew that God wanted so much more for his life. That's a word for some people here. You've been blessed, but God wants so much more for your life. And, and so Jacob grabbed a hold of God, wouldn't let him go, and he held on all night. Got to be morning, and God was busy. He wanted to go, so he said, okay, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. What's your name? See, names don't mean anything to us here. We don't know what they mean. But to that culture, everybody knew what each name meant and because they believed that the nature of you was in your name. Because you've been calling yourself this so long that that's what you became. You created your identity by what you called yourself. So, so God asked Jacob what his name was. Jacob said, well, my name's Jacob. What that meant was cheater and deceiver. And God said, well, I'm going to change your name to Israel, which means a prince with God or a son of God or a daughter of God. When he changed his name, he changed his nature. That's what Jacob was really after all along, the further blessing. And, and then God told him this, because you've been strong with God, you'll prevail with men. That's continuous favor. See, that's what God has promised you and me. And so, boy, I just, I just encourage you to get in on this tithing partnership with God. You know what God says about it? Anyone that tithes, he says, gives the first 10% of your income, your increase, to God. God says, I'll open the windows of heaven, and you can reach in and take out whatever you want in heaven to employ it in your life, thus making your days on earth as those in heaven. What a deal. Well, let's take our offerings in hand here and, and our tithes in hand. Or, or our, our tithes in hand. Let's take them. That's what we've been talking about. And our offerings. You know, an offering is anything you give above the tithe. That's a seed that you're sowing, an investment you're making, and God says you'll get 100 times back on that offering. So let's take these in hand right now and we'll agree over them and expect God to do just what he said. Are you in agreement with me? Father God, we take our tithes this morning, your tithes and our offerings, and we just declare as we give these to you that the things we're believing you for, the things we saw in your word that you promised us, we're taking a hold of right now. I, I just thank you for this tithing uh, partnership that you're on our side all the time, and we can reach into heaven and take whatever we need and use it here on earth. And I thank you for, for multiplying every offering given this morning a hundred times as much in kind. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And well, ushers, you can serve the people. Um, we're going to move on with our service. Thank you. What an awesome sermon. Wow. I don't know if I can do better than that. That was really good, man. I'd probably get take notes on that one. That was awesome. You know, God gives us the opportunity to experience his goodness and his blessing. Amen. Well, I'm mean, glad you're alive today. Yeah. We're going to have a baptismal day. That's what this tank's all about here. 
we got about 12 victims, I mean victors, that we're going to put in here. And um, it's a very important event in people's lives because it's, um, it's they're, they're fully identifying with Christ. And, uh, and so that's going to happen here in just a few minutes. Before we get into that, I want you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Last week, uh, I talked about uh, the victim culture that has taken root in our nation. And, uh, you know, my wife, I always ask my wife how, um, how my sermon went. And I'll just give you a little in, inside picture in what we do. I said, well, how'd you think it went today? My wife has a great, she never says that was horrible. She never says that ever. She, uh, she'll say, the best, the best uh, feedback I get is like, oh, man, that was incredible. Or she'll say, you don't even have to ask. I mean, she'll say something like that. Um, and then she'll say, that was really good. That was a good message. If she says to me, um, she goes, she starts out with, um, and, and then she goes, um, it was good. She, if she does that, that to her means I bombed. So last week when I, when I asked her, how'd you think the message went? She went, um, it was good. <laughs> and so she evidently didn't think it was that great. But anyways, but uh, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to do it again. I'm going to talk on that subject again, so uh, I'm not even going to ask her after the sermon today how she thought it went, but um, I told her when she said, um, uh, it was good, I, I told her, I said, I think that was one of the most more significant messages I've given lately, uh, because it actually addresses something that all of us can relate to, but it's something that has taken root in our culture today that is actually destroying the very heart of our, of our, our nation. And it's called uh, the idea of having a victim mentality, a victim mentality. And we see it everywhere. It's very strong on college campuses where it's, such, it's so strong that if you came to a college campus and wanted to say something that was contrary to what is the normal ideology or, or ideas there, they get upset to a point where they actually kind of get violent and so it's actually, they don't want to hear about it. They just want to hear certain things. And, um, and, but I, I want you to see here that it's so important for us to resist a victim tag. Amen, Steve, preach. I believe it was. And because it's so easy uh, to do that, to accept the victimhood mentality and to accept the victim tag. And what happens when you do accept it, uh, it really is it's going to destroy your life. And uh, you're never going to advance and move forward. And it doesn't, and when I say that, I don't I want you to misunderstand me. It's not that there isn't uh, injustices in our country. There's not, it, that, that there's not pain and suffering in the world. I want you to understand that. There is pain and suffering in the world. There is difficulties that everybody faces. And you probably have faced things that I have never faced. You know, I used an example one week. I talked about how my wife's had, we, we had five children. She bore them. I didn't bear them. But uh, because regardless of what people say, guys don't have babies. Pause, think on that. But anyways, and so I didn't uh, bear them, but she bore them. I stood there. I thought I was going to be in the waiting room when she had the kids, but she told me I was going to be in the delivery room. But, um, but anyways, I stood there shell-shocked. Watching this whole procedure, I should have watched the movies better. Close, but I was shocked and, and shell shocked and, and everything. And and uh, I and she went through a lot of pain, pain that I've never had to endure, and I never will endure. 
I can empathize, but I don't know what it's like to experience that kind of pain. And so that's true of everybody. You know, I saw a documentary not too long ago about a, this, this broke my heart. I saw this, I think it was in either Thailand or Cambodia, and they were doing a, a thing about the sex traffic trade or whatever, and how people go over there and they hire uh, little children and they abuse them and so on. It's terrible. It's, the, it's horrible. Don't even watch it. It's discouraging. But they had this one scene where this little girl, she was like four or five years old, and it was her job to take care of her brother who was two years old. They had no parents, no one to watch out for him. She was the, she was the one that provided for the family. And I just thought, that's heartbreaking. And there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world, and that that's, goes without saying. But the thing that I'm trying to say to you here is that um, if you accept the victim tag, if you accept that tag, what happens is you stop growing, you stop advancing, you, you have an excuse for why you are the way you are, and you never progress uh, into what God wants you to be. You never progress into the things of God. You never progress in society as a whole. You'll never turn out the way God wanted you to turn out. You'll never become what God wants you to be. And that's why it's so damaging. You see, in the victim mentality, the philosophy, what happens is there's always an oppressor, an oppressive group. And this is what's happened in our culture. There's always the oppressor group and there's always the oppressed. And what has happened is they categorize people as good and bad based on who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed. And so if you're the oppressed, then everything that you do is okay. You can act up, you can do anything you want because you're the oppressed. And anything you say or do is okay because you're the oppressed. And if you're the oppressor, what that means is no matter what you say or do, you're wrong. No matter what you say, your character doesn't matter, your conduct doesn't matter, it de what it depends on is what group you're in. And if you are in a, an oppressed group, then you can do anything, regardless of character, and you're okay. And if you're an oppressor, no matter what you say or do, unless you side with them, then you're okay. But if you don't side with them, then you're wrong, and you're bad, and we don't want to hear what you have to say. And that's what's happening today in our culture. I remember a couple years ago, there was the Me Too movement, which is, again, was directed at an oppressed group which was women, and obviously there's been a lot of bad things that have happened. There's no question about it, and, and it needs to be changed, and there needs to come change, and I'm all for it. But the point that I'm making is that some lady got on, on TV, and she said, we need all the men to shut up and sit down. And I just thought, my first response was, I'm not shutting up, and I am not sitting down. <laughs> because it's not right but because you are not a part of the oppressed group, you're not able to speak. And so this mentality sort of seeps into the church, sort of seeps into people's mentalities, and they start looking to be an oppressed person. I don't know if you've ever, uh, ever saw this guy. Uh, he's from Australia, and he's a motivational speaker. And I'm not making this up. He has no arms and no legs. Have you heard that guy? And he's the, no, can you imagine that? Talk about somebody who should be oppressed or should be like, feel like he is a victim. That's a guy that should feel like a victim. He has no arms, no legs. And you know what he is? He's a motivational speaker. He has like one foot on the bottom of his stump or something. And he goes around and he gives these motivational talks and he says, you can do it. Look at me. I can do it. You can do it. And he, he won't allow himself to slip into the victim mentality. He won't let himself go into it. 
You know, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4. He says this in verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content in any circumstance. The word content means to be self-sufficient, to be independent of circumstances and situations, to, to not let the situation around him define him, form him, cause him to be something other than God ordained for him to be. That's what it means to be content. He says, I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. The word learnt, the secret of contentment, it actually means to be discipled into the mysteries. There's a mist, you know, the kingdom of God is, is called a mystery. And there's certain ways that you act in certain situations. You know, a lot of times what happens is, I just felt like this was going through my mind as we were worshiping. A lot of people, when they go through trouble, the first thing they turn to is worry, fear, anxiety over the situation. And because that seems to be more, they seem to be more geared or more accustomed to that, that type of procedure in their life. They turn to certain things. And what God wants them to do is, Paul says, I know what to do. I have been discipled what to do in every situation. I know exactly. I, I'm in this situation, I know what to do. I'm in that situation, I know what to do. And a lot of times what people are, they get into a situation and they've never been discipled into a mystery. This is what we do in this situation. I don't know if you ever did this, but like when I first got married, I was a terrible husband. And my wife will probably could get up and testify of that. And, uh, but one thing is nobody ever gave me any, I didn't hear any teaching. No one ever taught me anything. And so I would say things that my, hurt my wife. She cried a lot the first year that we were married because I was just dumber than a box of rocks. I just didn't have a clue. After I learned some things, have you ever been around somebody who is dumb as a box of rocks? And, when, and all of a sudden, when they talk, you go looking at them like, are you, are you serious? How dumb can you be? You don't say those things. How I many know what I mean? Thank you guys for helping me out there. I mean, you, don't, you just know, you just know after a while, you don't say those things. Why? Because you've been discipled into the mysteries. And, and the problem is that most Christians are not discipled into the mystery. So when they hit hard times, they don't know what to do. When they hit hard times, they just murmur and complain, say, poor old me, call a pity parter, invite all their friends over. They don't come because they don't want to listen to you either. <laughs> right? But what does the Bible say? The Bible says when you go through hard times, what do you do? Get your hands up and start to rejoice and to praise and begin to worship and to shout hallelujah. Well, I don't know anything about that. That's why Paul, when he was, it was at midnight, he was in an inner jail, feet and legs and stocks and bonds. Silas is there and go, what do we do? What do we do, Paul? What do we do, Silas? Here's what we do. I've been discipled into the mysteries. I know exactly what to do right now. And he starts to sing and he starts to pray and they start to sing louder and they start to pray louder and they start to sing hallelujah and the prisoners are listening to them and all of a sudden something happens. Why? Why did that situation turn around? Because they had been discipled into the mysteries. In other words, I know what to do when I'm going through situations like this. I know exactly what to do. But what our natural tendency, our natural tendency is almost always the wrong thing to do. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I'm actually preaching better than you're responding. But you know, one thing I learned about Paul, you know, I was going through some difficulty one time. People were 
had lied about me or talking about me. And I was like, I was feeling sorry for myself. I have to admit it. I was feeling like, poor as me. I was, I was telling the Lord, Lord, girl, pick it on me, don't you? You know, I was kind of doing that deal. And, and one day, you know, the Lord, I didn't feel like the Lord said anything to me, you know, like, you know, impressed anything upon me. But one day I was reading through the Apostle Paul's life story. And when I got done reading his life story, I thought to myself, what am I doing? What am I complaining about? You need to, I, t I tell myself, you need to put your big boy pants on, <laughs> cinch them up, get out there and get to work and, sh you know, shut your, you know, that's what I feel like saying to myself. But I know that way, if you're sensitive, that probably wouldn't be go over very big. But just think about all the things Paul went through. He was persecuted. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was in prison. He was lied about. Cities rioted because of him. He was hated. He had 40 Jews that vowed they wouldn't eat again until they killed Paul. Amen. But he never declared himself a victim. He never accepted that victim tag. He never let them hang that victim tag around his neck. He says, I'm always rejoicing. He said, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Amen. He always rose above the situation. That's why if I accept the, the, the victimhood status as an identity, it doesn't mean that I haven't been victimized. See, that's, that's the thing people say, well, are you trying to tell me I didn't have bad things happen? Everybody's had bad things happen. And you've had probably worse things than I've had happen. I mean, I, one time I, I was, we had this lady that would come and receive ministry, and her father actually sold her into prostitution. He would sell her into prostitution. And I'm just sitting there looking at her. I'm just going, I, I can't, my mind hardly can even comprehend what you're telling me right now. But bad things happen. We are living in a broken world. Satan, who is the God of this world, makes a lot of bad things happen. And I'm not saying bad things didn't happen. And I can empathize with you. But here's what I'm telling you, that if you accept the victim tag, you will not end up in a good place. You have to reject that victim status, that victim tag. But it seems so attractive because then I have an excuse for the way I am and for the progress that I made. Amen? I have an excuse. And, the, you know, the Bible tells us there are no excuses. God wants you to rise up. God wants you to be great. God wants you to be an overcomer. God wants you to be powerful in his kingdom. You know, I, I read this quote one time. I don't think it's by a Christian, but listen to this. Listen to this quote. When heaven is about to confer a great office on someone, when heaven is about to confer a great office on someone, it first exercises his mind with suffering, his sinews and bones with toil. It exposes his body to hunger and subjects him to extreme need. It confounds his undertakings by all these methods, it stimulates his mind, hardens his natures, and splies his competencies, and then it is seen if he is ready. That's powerful. See, because a lot of times what we do is we just, we don't want to go through anything. We just want to sit on the, we want to sit, you know, not you guys, but other people out there. They just want to sit on the sofa and click, 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 and they're picking on me. Come on. 
They don't, you don't realize that what actually is happening is God is getting you ready for promotion. When you go through stuff, God's getting you ready for promotion. And if you respond right in this situation, promotion is right around the corner. Promotion, promotion, as they say, cometh. <laughs> Amen. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, we talk about him a lot. I think I might have said this last week, but he made this statement. He said, this like precious faith is for all. This is quoting him now. But there may be some hindrances in your life that God will have to deal with. It seems to me as if I have had a thousand road engines come over my life. It seems to me that I've had a thousand road engines come over my life to break up like the potter's vessel. There is no other way into the deep things of God but a broken spirit. There is no other way into the power of God but a broken spirit. God will do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think for us when he brings us to the place where he can, where he can say with Paul, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. He has taken the reins of my life. So what happens is that we go through stuff and our faith is tested and that's the way. Adversity is the way to greatness. Adversity is the way to overcoming, is to being a victor. If there's no adversity in your life, what happens is you'll never become great. Because what happens with adversity is adversity forces us to go deeper into God. You know, they say eagles, that what happens is windy days are awesome for eagles because they just go higher. The adversity of the wind actually pushes them higher. Adversity forces us into a new level of intimacy. Amen. See, preach. I'm the only one preaching this sermon this morning. Adversity forces us into a new level of intimacy. This level of intimacy is needed in the new season of life God is calling us into. This level of intimacy is needed to keep us in the new season of life that God calls us unto. Let me read another verse to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, pretty well-known verse. It says, Verse 7, Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure, there was, but because of the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Notice that this was not a blessing from heaven. It was called a messenger of Satan. And it was to buffet him. Buffet means to deliver blow after blow. Blow after blow. Buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace, listen to this, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. Infirmities is weaknesses, not sickness, but weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in needs. I take pleasure in persecution, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, what he's saying is, when I go through stuff, I get a hold of God. And what God does is God gives me greater grace for this season in my life. God gives me greater strength. God gives me greater ability. God gives me greater power. I, I learn to access, I learn a portal like opens up and I learn to access the power of God in this situation. I learn to access what the, the, the goodness of God, the things of God in this situation and I just rise above it. I go through it. It's, it doesn't defeat me. I don't let that victim tag hang itself on my, head, on my neck. I mean, I tell you, if I had 40 Jews 
that said they weren't going to eat again until they killed me, I'd be saying that everywhere I went. Pray for me, y'all. <laughs> Got these 40 hungry Jews wanting to kill me. Y'all pray for me. But what he's saying is that the more of, of the problems and the adversity that come into my life, the more I access, I'm forced to access God's grace. I'm forced to access God's power. Because isn't that true in life? If you're, everything's going good, you might pray, you might worship, but you're not really digging in until stuff starts happening. When it starts hitting the fan, then you start, you start digging in, right? You start saying, God, where are you? Hello, where are you? You start, all of a sudden, you start doing all the things you should have been doing all, all along. All of a sudden, you start doing them. You start repenting. You start making things right with people. You start confessing things. You start speaking to mountains. You start uh, getting into the word. You start reading things. Isn't that true? Why? Because I got some adversity now. Now you're digging in to the things of God because you've got some adversity. Maybe we should have been doing that all along, but one thing that's true, adversity does make us do it. See, when I was growing up, it was thought virtuous to develop a thick skin. Not to be cold or heartless or indifferent, but to let things go. Insults, offenses, let it go. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it go. Let it go. Don't let the weaknesses of other people keep you from moving forward. The idea was that I'm not defined by what others say or do. They can't hold me back. They don't define me. I'm responsible for my actions, not theirs. But weak people allow the dysfunction of others to hinder their growth and their development. They allow the dysfunction. Because how many know there's some dysfunctional people out there? You might have grown up in a dysfunctional situation. You know what it is time for you? To move on. You know, they say this, and I, I try to check this on the Internet. So I'm always a little bit hard-pressed. I don't want to say something that I heard, but I don't know if it's true or not. But they say, this guy said, that he helped a monarch butterfly emerge from a cocoon. He said that it was struggling to get out of this cocoon, and so he thought, well, I'll just help it. So he just kind of opened it up and let the help the monarch butterfly that had, well, at one time was a caterpillar and it had spun its cocoon. It was going to now emerge into a monarch butterfly. So he just opened up the cocoon to try to let it come out and the monarch butterfly fell on the ground and the monarch butterfly never flew. And the person said, uh, he asked somebody about it. He said, you can't help them emerge. If you help them emerge, they will never fly. If you help them too much, how many know you can help people too much? See, victimhood, are you still with me? This is actually a pretty good sermon, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just looking for any bone you can throw my way here. Uh, <laughs> victimhood, I'm feeling my wife's going to say, um, it was good. <laughs> victimhood is a mindset. Because it's amazing to me sometimes when you look at people that have like millions and millions of dollars living in mansions and they're, they're trying to claim victim status, you go, let me have your life. You know, then I, I've traveled a lot overseas. I've been to about 30 different countries and preaching and I've been to third world countries. And I'm telling you, when I tell people in third world countries that we have garages for, we have houses for our cars. They're like, What? We have houses for our cars. They're like, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. We have houses for our cars. 
And we usually have more than one car. They're like, unbelievable. Right? It's hard. It's hard to try to get sympathy from them. You know, like sometimes we'll be in a third world country somewhere where we're preaching and things, you know, things get a little hard and get a little dicey, you know, and, you know, it's not always, you know, you're soaking wet. There's no air conditioning. I was in preaching one time in this room and they had a, a splitter on the wall, you know, air conditioning heater there. And I don't know why they had the heater, but anyways, but, and so they didn't have it on. I said, does that work? I mean, I mean, I'm soaking wet. I am totally wet. I'm, even my socks are wet. And I go, does that work? Yeah. Well, then I give you some money. Turn it on. Turn it on. Oh, you want it on? Are you hot? Am I hot? Yes. But victimhood is a mindset. It's actually a stronghold that can affect anyone anywhere in any strata. You could be here today and be a victim because of something that legitimately happened to you when you were young or when you were in your life somewhere, something legitimately happened to you. But the point that I'm saying is that if you accept that victimhood status or that tag, you will not move forward. See, strongholds, let me say this to you, strongholds, I'm going to give you one more example, then I'm going to be done. So that's pretty good, wasn't it? Uh, okay, thank you. For, um, yeah, I, I deserve that. I set myself up for that one. Strongholds are stubborn patterns of thinking that are resistant to God's will and God's word. Strongholds are stubborn patterns of thinking that are resistant to God's will, God's word, and God's ways. Strongholds are obstacles that must move before change can come. Strongholds are, are obstacles that must move before change can come in the power of God experienced in your life. That stronghold has to come down. Now, as I conclude here, I want to just give you one story in the Bible that probably all of us are familiar with, but it's definitely a story of victimization, and that's the story of Joseph in the Bible. If you've ever read this story, you know that if anybody should be a card-carrying uh, member of the victim club for life, it should be Joseph, right? He, his abuses started in his own family. He was, first of all, his father, this is, this is dysfunction. I don't care what anybody said. This is dysfunction. His father picks him out and starts to favor him above all the other kids. He gives him a coat of many colors. He goes, you my boy. All the other brothers are mad about it, you know. And, and then the thing, the thing about Joseph, he goes and he's a tattletale too. He tells the, the brothers aren't doing a good job. He goes home to his dad and says, the brothers are slacking off. And they're like, they want to kill him. Then to make worse, make matters even worse, he starts having these dreams. Now this, in my opinion, was not his best day when he told his brothers about the dreams. He goes, yeah, I had this dream and, and we were all a bunch of uh, bundles of wheat and, and all, your, all you guys, your bundles of wheat bow, bow down to my bundle of wheat. I just wanted to share that with you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And they're like, just seething. They're just like, oh, kill this guy. Right? And then he had another dream where stars and moon, he's having all these dreams. And, and so finally one day his dad goes, hey, why don't you go out and feed your brothers that are in the field? Takes him a while to find his brothers. But his brothers hated him so much that when they saw him coming, they go, let's kill him. Think about how much hatred you had to have. Let's kill him. And so Reuben stops them and Reuben says, 
let's throw them in this pit. So they throw them in this pit and it says there was no water in the pit. What they're trying to tell you that it was a hard landing. He's down there in the pit and he can hear them talking. Let's kill him. Let's do this. We're going to just kill him. He's sitting down there and go, this is my brother's. These are my brothers. They're talking about killing me. And they're, they're arguing back and forth. And finally, one of them, Judah, he says, he sees this caravan of people going down to Egypt. He says, let's sell them. Let's get some money for them at least. Let's get some money. And so they sell them. They just think, can you hear them arguing with the, with the Egyptians, arguing for how much? Oh, you got you to give me more than that for them. No, he's worth more than, okay, you can have him with that. 30 pieces of silver. And so he sold into Egypt. And he, then he sold again into Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a captain of, the, of Pharaoh's guard. He sold into Potiphar's house. Now let me tell you this right now. Most of us would be, definitely have that victim thing hanging on us. And then one day, so he's, but he's prospering. God's with him. It says God's with him in all of this. It doesn't seem like God's with him, but God's with him. It says right in the Bible, and the Lord was with him. Do you know, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Let me tell you this. God is with you and he wants you to succeed. He wants you to rise above this. He wants you to know his power and experience his resurrection power in the midst of your situation. And so he, he starts prospering Potiphar's house. Potiphar just takes the whole household and delivers it over to him. And one day Potiphar's wife goes, hey, hey, hey. And he's going, no, 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 no. She's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, no, no, no. And day after day, it's, he, she keeps pressuring him. He goes, no, no, no. She says, yeah, yeah, yeah. One day she's in the house alone with him and she grabs him and he leaves his coat and he flees. And she goes, he tried to rape me. Falsely accused. Where does he go? Prison. He went from the pit to the prison. Now he's in the prison. They say he was in the prison for over 10 years. Over a jump, trumped up charge. Over a trumped up charge. Wasn't even true. He wasn't even supposed to be in Egypt. He was sold there by his brothers. His brothers, and then the brothers faked his death and brought it back to his dad so his dad wouldn't look for him. He, his dad thought he was dead. And there he's in the prison. And then in the prison, he starts prospering again. And then he tells a dream to these two guys. And he says, when you get before Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh what's happened to me. It's, I'm not supposed to be here. It's not right. And they forgot him for two more years. I mean, this is, can you imagine every day, every day thinking about this? Aggravated. Why didn't did they talk to Pharaoh about this situation? Is there any justice? Is there any justice in this land? Is there any justice in my life? Is it ever going to be okay? Is anybody going to step in and intervene? Where are you, God? This has been going on for 13 years, Lord. Where are you? But remember, God was with him. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream where he sees seven fat cows followed by seven lean cows. And the dream is bugging the daylights out of Pharaoh. He can't figure out. Nobody can tell him what the dream means. And finally, the guy who interpreted the dream, he says, you know what? I met this guy two years ago in prison, and he interpreted the dream, and he got a right interpretation. So one day, think about this. Joseph is laying down in a prison 
And prisons, back then, prisons were not good. You know, compared to today, they're palaces compared to today. They were horrible back then. He lay, one day he's laying his head down in a prison. I don't know how the man maintained his integrity. I don't know how the man rejected a victim tag. I don't know how the man kept going, how the man rose above the situation, but he did. Because heaven was about to confer upon him a great office. But he didn't see it coming. He didn't see it coming. That day he laid down in that prison. He didn't see all of a sudden a great door had opened up for him. An invisible door had opened up to him. And he didn't even realize that it was there. But it swung open because of his faithfulness to God. I'm spitting all over the place up here. Because of his faithfulness to God, this door had swung open. And he had, he had been proven worthy. And he had been proven ready. He had been tested and tried. And he was ready for his day of promotion. And in one day, the next day, one day he's laying down in a prison cell. The next day he's laying down in the palace. Why? Because he learned what to do in adversity. I tried hard to understand what, what this guy, because wouldn't you like to know, what are you thinking? See, to me, whatever you're thinking, I want to think like you. Whatever you're thinking, I want to think like you, Joseph. I mean, come on. I don't know about you, but I want to think like you. Somehow for 13 years of, of total uh, injustices being done to you, I want to think like you, Joseph, whatever it is. And so I searched to try to find out what was he thinking. Don't you ever wonder like that? See, here's the thing that most people don't realize. You know, a lot of times we look at successful people and we see them on the stage or we see them on, in, in public or whatever. We see them driving something nice or whatever. We see a successful person and we think, wow, isn't that glamorous? He must wake up glamorous. He must brush his teeth glamorous. He must put his clothes on glamorous. I mean, everything about his life must be glamorous. It must just be one glamorous thing to the next. He must glamorously go down the stairs in the morning. He must glamorously go to the breakfast table in the morning. His whole life is glamorous. That's what we think. Do you know that there's only like about 5% or 10% of his life that's glamorous? You know the rest of it is? It's drudgery. It's just grinding out things, doing the right thing when no one's watching. Do you think great athletes just lay there in bed and they hop up and they just like, I'm, I'm fit and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to compete. Do you think that's what happens? Oh, no, they grind it out. Day and they don't feel like doing it. They don't want to do it. They grind it out day after day. They just do the right thing. They put the, their foot ahead of the other, one foot ahead of the other foot. They just do the right thing every day. Nobody's watching. It's not glorious. It's not glamorous. It's just life. But they do it, why? Because they want to obtain an incorruptible crown. They, they persevere. They push forward. They don't give up. They don't allow themselves to be victimized by an evil culture. I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. You know, I worked on this sermon. Does it seem like it? And I, I told my wife, I said, maybe you should preach. I'm working on this sermon, and I, I want it to be, like, powerful, but I'm afraid you're going to go, um, it was okay. <laughs> yeah. 
But we, we sometimes think that life is supposed to be glamorous all the time. That you see two married couples or a married couple come walking in, they're holding hands, skipping. You just think that they just must wake up in the morning, look at each other, their hair's perfect. <laughs> Teeth are white as snow. Their breath smells like heaven. <laughs> they never have body odor, ever. They just fall into each other's arms and embrace every day. Let's follow them home, right? Why did you say that to me? I heard you say that to me in church. What did you say that to me for? What are you talking about? I didn't say anything. You said it. I heard you say, you dirty dog, you. I heard you say that. What is your breath? What have you been eating? Have you been chewed on cow pies? I mean, come on. Right? I mean, you have to grind it out every day. You got to do the right thing every day because there is a crown. There is a doorway that is opening up to us, but it only is available to those who will persist, to those who will go forward and not quit. But if you do, the rewards are amazing. Wow, it's amazing. Things that you struggle with right now, you don't struggle with them anymore. You won't be pushed back anymore. But it takes little things and little, little obediences. You got to do the right thing. Ah, oh, preach, Steve. I believe I will. So here's the last verse I'm going to give you. Are you still with me? What time is it? I'm not supposed to look at the time, but we have a baptism today, so I want to make sure I get that in. Let me give you this last verse. Genesis 50, verse 20. Here's what happened after Jacob died. Joseph's brothers thought, uh-oh, he's been nice to us because of dad, but now dad's dead. Now it's going to hit the fan. He's going to get his revenge. It's going to be ugly. And so they come to him and they said, please, please be kind to us. When dad was alive, he, he said that he wanted you to forgive us and be kind to us. And so this is how Joseph looked at it. He said this, verse 20. Genesis 50, but as for you, you meant it evil against me. I like that phrase. He didn't say, hey, everything's wonderful. It's all cool. He goes, no, you guys are jerks. You guys were jerks. I mean, you don't just sell your brother, you don't throw your brother in a pit and then sell him for 30 pieces of silver. People, fam, normal families don't do that. You're a jerk. You were a jerk. You meant it for evil. You definitely did jerky. You're a jerk. I'm using, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say everything, I'm Pollyanna, everything's beautiful in its own way. It's beautiful being thrown into a pit. It's wonderful. Then sitting there listening to you bargain for my life and finally settle on 30 pieces of silver. That was just, that made me feel so good inside. I just... Wow, that was fun. He didn't say that. He said, you meant it for evil. You did evil. What you did was wrong. But God meant it for good. He said, God overrode it. God, listen, God overrides evil. God, evil done to you, God overrides it. If you let it go. See, you can tell Joseph he let it go. If you let it go, God overrides evil done to you. In order to bring 
in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. See, what he's talking about here is if you resist the victim tag, every evil that's done to you, God will override it. When God starts overriding stuff, whoo, buddy, you better hold on. You better buckle up, buddy, because when God starts overriding stuff, I mean, it starts coming at you like crazy. I mean, and I'm not talking about bad stuff. I'm talking about good stuff. But first of all, it's done. He does it in you before he does it around you or through you. Does that make sense? Let's all stand together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't care what you all say. That was a good message. <laughs> you can go, um, it was okay. <laughs> that was good. Amen. So look at your neighbor and say, there ain't no more poor old you. Say, tell him that. And then say, there ain't no more poor old me. Amen. Praise God. We're not victims. We're victors. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm looking at your people today. These are ones that you redeemed by your mighty power. Every single one of them is special, precious, unbelievable, import, unbelievably important to you. You love them and do anything for them. You'd move heaven and earth for them because they're that important to you. But Lord, we lose our way sometimes in the midst of trouble because we get captured by problems. And so today, Lord, I ask you that there would come over this congregation of people an insight, a, a revelation, an awakening up to the reality that we are not victims, that we are victors. We won't complain or whine, but Lord, we will look to you. Our eyes are on you. We don't always know what to do because when we go through stuff, we don't always know what to do. But one thing we have is our eyes are on you. We know you know what to do. And you will make it good. Because you said in your word, all things work together for our good. And you will make it good. They meant it for evil, but you will make it good. You'll make this turn out for good. All the pain, all the victimization, you'll make it turn out for good. And we'll use this test for a testimony of your faithfulness and your saving power. God, we thank you for it. Right now, we thank you for it. Just thank him right now. Begin to thank him. Thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for this situation. Thank you for this difficulty. Thank you for this test. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. But you are turning it around, Lord. You are turning it around. You are capturing your enemies, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. We declare that no weapon formed against us can prosper. Every tongue that rises against us in judgment is condemned. This is our inheritance. Hallelujah. And our righteousness is of you, saith God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good days. Fruitful days ahead. Hallelujah. Good days. Fruitful days. Days of divine favor are ahead. 
God's favor. God's favor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Isn't God good? We are going to switch our service here just a little bit. We're just so thankful for everybody that joined us online. And we just trust that God will, God, wherever they are, God ministered to them this incredible word. But we want to shift our service here. So at this time, we're going to sing one song. And everybody that's going to be baptized, we just want you to go get your baptism clothes on and get ready for your great experience here. But we're going to sing that song, sing this song one time, and then give you the opportunity to get ready. And then we'll have you come forward and sit on the chairs up here in front. Maybe we could make a little room. Maybe you guys could go over there. You all could go over there on that side, and we could have them sit on this side. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have them get up, tell us your name, your social security. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> your, your savings account number, what bank you're No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. But um, so, uh, and then uh, we're going to have a couple Holy Ghost ladies pray for you, and then I'm going to baptize you. So let's sing this song together as they get ready. Go ahead.
you, God. Hallelujah. God's good. Amen. So here's, uh, you may be seated for just a moment. just want to say something to you about baptism. Um, you know, a lot of times, obviously, we, most, a lot of us grew up in churches that practiced um, sprinkling or pouring. And I'm not attacking people that do that. But I just want to point out a couple things about baptism. First of all, the word baptism is not an English word. It's a Greek word. And the translators did not want to translate the word because it would have kind of insulted or it kind of went against what they were practicing in the Church of England, which was pouring or sprinkling. But the word actually means to dip or to immerse. That's what baptism is, is to immerse. And you see some verses in the Bible where it says Jesus came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. We have to, to be, come up out of the water, you had to be in the water. And that's what the word means, to immerse. It also says that John baptized in Annan because there was much water there. We well, don't need a lot of water if you're just sprinkling people. And so they immersed people in water. They totally immersed them. And um, because the type or what it's a picture of is being identifying with Christ in his burial to rise in newness of life. And so if you appropriate this properly or with the scriptural identification is that Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried. And the third day he rose again. And the Bible actually uses that term. It says, even so we would walk in newness of life. So there's something, and there's several other types in the Bible where we're actually putting, we're burying what is part of the old nature. We're burying that. And we're fully identifying with Christ. You know, it's interesting that when the people in Bible days, when they would be baptized, it was always a public event. I don't know if they did it in buildings or did it outside, maybe did more of it outside. Not baptized people in wading pools, swimming pools, rivers, streams, lakes, bathtubs, cow tanks, cow tanks. Um, and uh, the idea is that we, we put them under the water to it. They're fully identified. And so what they did in the Bible days is when they did that, it was a public declaration. They would say, I'm following Jesus. And it meant, in a lot of their cases, it meant it was a matter of life and death. That declaration, I'm following Jesus. And here I'm identifying with him in the act of redemption. That, that public declaration was a, a life sentence. And so it was a serious thing, but it was a public. And so what we're going to have you guys do, one at a time, I'm going to have my Holy Ghost ladies and people come up here. And uh, we're going to have you do, is you're going to come right here, right here. One of these ladies is going to let you speak into the mic. And what I want you to do for just a minute, just to tell everybody what Jesus Christ means to you. Confess Jesus as your Lord, whatever you want to say about your testimony, about what Jesus is in your life. And then they're going to pray for you. And then my son Sam's going to help me. We're going to baptize you in this tank. So just go up these stairs and get into the water. And your, your feet go at this end here. This end, so don't go that way. Go this way. Face this way. Sit down right here. There's a legend here. The water has been heating all night. 
It's not a bath water temperature, but it's not cold. And, uh, and then we'll baptize you. Amen? Yeah. All right, Lord, thank you that we can uh, follow you. You said it to John, to fulfill all righteousness, follow you in baptism. So, Lord, we just thank you now for these people, these candidates that are surrendering their life completely, identifying with you in this act of baptism. We thank you for your anointing upon this service. In Jesus' name. And I want Amen. you to know that he can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org. 